This is the Square Peg Podcast, starring Andrew Lawrence and a cast of mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. And now, here's your host, Andrew Lawrence. Not all of us look the way the world expects us to look, think as the world expects us to think, or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to. On the Square Peg Podcast, we give a voice to mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and here are their stories. And thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started, as always. The Needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding El Pasoans. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sions are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on the weekends. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. My guest today is my friend Danny G, a professional wrestler who grew up running the streets of Martinez-Town, Albuquerque, and decided he wanted to leave that life and grew up to take the straight and narrow path while staying true to his hometown and his hometown culture. Danny, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's an honor, it's a, a privilege, and yeah, man, let's rock and roll. You're one of the first few people, and you're actually one of the first few people not just to be on the podcast, but one of the first few people that I thought of uh, when, when trying to think of people who fit the mold of, of what we're trying to do here and the stories we're trying to tell. You know, you started off one place and you ended up another. Um, tell us about your neighborhood you grew up in, Martinez-Town, Albuquerque. Um, well, Martinez-Town is a historic neighborhood in Albuquerque, New Mexico, so it has its historical roots. So. Um, it's one of the first ever established neighborhoods. So when a lot of travelers would come down, you know, they would need a place to go to church. And um, San Ignacio Church is basically uh, that's the home of Martinez Town. So a lot of the settlers and travelers would go down to that church and um, worship and whatnot. And you know, it's actually held its own for all these years and uh, became a residential type of neighborhood and um, we try to hold its historic value as much as we can and um, today it's it's basically just like any of the other historical neighborhoods in other cities so I'm sure like in El Paso you know uh, you have uh, you have those small little barrios uh, that are near the border towns and whatnot that hold the same kind of historic neighborhood and uh, Martinez Town is just one of Albuquerque's and so with all the the positivity and all the rich culture of your neighborhood, there obviously was some sort of element uh, that I guess was we can call undesirable or, or less than savory. Um, growing up there, you, if I remember correctly, you were in your teens when you started getting involved in things that you, you obviously are no longer involved in now. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, um, you know, with any neighborhood, with any kind of older neighborhood, you know, you have a community of people who grow up together so such as you know um generations and generations will come from there so um with my with my personal experience you know my grandma and my grandfather they were actually from martinez town as well so you know we kind of hold that close bond as far as some of my friends that are my age you know their grandparents grew up there as well so you have that little tight-knit community and with that, you know, comes a lot of adolescence. So, you know, being in high school and middle school and whatnot, you know, you hang around with your friends so much, you're with them that you actually form this kind of bond, which is basically turns into gang life because you guys, 
stick up for each other. You guys ride for each other. You guys are with each other. You guys grow up together. You guys go through ups and downs together. So in Martinez Town, you know, a lot of my friends that I grew up with, they all have that historic um, background to them. So it's more than just, you know, people people um, getting into trouble and, and gang life. It's more of a, a family, more of a, a, a traditional type of upbringing. And were you involved in, in sports, organized activities, uh, Cub Scouts, any of that stuff when you were growing up? Actually, I was involved with uh, soccer pretty heavily. Um, I know my mom, she was a, a, a single mother, so growing up, you know, as a single parent, one of the things to do is to get your kids in sports, to get them active and around other kids and stuff like that. So I did actually play soccer for, uh, I would say, maybe up to maybe 15 years. And I was actually quite good at it. You know, it's just one of those things that, you know, if you love something, then, you know, you just get better at it and you like doing it so much where, you know, it becomes your skill. And uh, you took me a little bit by surprise. I want to make sure that I understand uh, when you're talking about uh getting involved in the in, in, in kind of the gang life as a teenager. Um, my understanding was that you kind of got into something that it had already existed. Was this was this kind of a clique or a, a crew that you formed with, with a bunch of your buddies your age, or was this something that preexisted you? Oh, this is actually something that was years uh, before I even came around. You know, um, this is something that's like a tradition. You know, you have your older people who grow up there, and um, I think it's basically – how it actually continues off is is like a cycle. So once you, as as being a youngster, you know, you start actually seeing older people from your neighborhood who are, you know, either related to your friends at your age through their cousins or their, their uncles or their grandpas or their moms, their aunties, their sisters. So it's something that actually just lives on from generation to generation, you know, and it's a lot of us at that age, you know, we follow in footsteps because we're infatuated by that kind of lifestyle. We're infatuated by, you know, your your friend you know, bragging about how his older brother does this and a lot of people are scared of him and how they represent the neighborhood and stuff like that. So you start taking accustomed to that and start like looking at that like as a um, as a role model type of type of situation. Okay, and and that's kind of more along the lines of what I expected. The way the way you explained it earlier kind of gave me an idea that maybe it was something different. Um, I was watching in a recent video that I'd like to talk to you about here in a little bit. You said you got uh, ranked in your neighborhood when you were sixteen. That's correct. Uh, is that a? Li- it seemed a little bit old. Uh, were you a little bit older than most of the guys when they get to that point? Was that about the right age? Were you young? Um, it's just one of those things where, you know, you, uh, being younger, a little bit younger than that, you know, you you don't really look at it as just like, you know, uh, I'm going to rank somebody in or whatnot. Um, when you get a little bit older around your teenagers, then you start understanding how, how gang life is and you start understanding how gangs, uh, around other bigger cities, such as like Crips, Bloods, how they actually, um, handle condone themselves as well so you start picking up that you know the rite of passage for a young gang member is to actually get ranked in and you know that's your friends your neighborhood and them all beating you up and making sure that you can take that kind of that kind of um that kind of punishment and make sure you're strong enough to stand on your feet so it's basically like a more of a, a rite of passage 
And is that something that you wait, you wake up one day and they come to you and say, well, this is the day? Or it's something that, how does that all come about? Um, I, I guess everybody's situation is different, but um, everybody, as you come into that kind of lifestyle, you understand that, you know, it is something that really is your rite of passage. So, you know, eventually it's going to happen one day, somehow, um, in one form or another. And also, you know, there are people as well who, like I said, that their their older brothers and their dads are are in the gang. You know, so some some of those kind of people actually get more of a, a little pass on it, where you know they don't have to get an official ranking or whatnot. But uh, some people like to prove themselves as well. I know, you know, some of my homies um, just to actually kill boredom sometimes, or just to, you know, uh, just act up. You know, sometimes you say, you know. Uh, it's it's about that time that we all need to re-rank each other in, and it becomes more of a you guys fighting each other and just, you know, not trying to really knock each other out and, and you know, cause damage, but as far as just being aggressive and fighting and stuff like that. And so when this happens, you're 16, how does your uh, mom react? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's something, being at that age, you know, you kind of separate your, your, separate your street life from your family life, you know, like, I remember instances where, you know, I could be around some of my friends the night before, and, you know, we're getting into trouble, you know, tagging up places, breaking in places, trying to steal cars, fighting with other gangs, and, you know, the next morning you have Easter Sunday with your family where you dress up nice, and, you know, you try to separate that kind of lifestyle, and, you know, you you really don't talk about that kind of stuff around your family, and uh, personally, my family, you know, they're all really religious, like, got a lot of older aunties um cousins and whatnot so they all go to church and you know they all worship the lord and stuff like that so you know talking about gang stuff and 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 drugs and money and stuff like that like i really never went about it that way i never really talked about that stuff around my family so you know one they they just see you know this is little danny you know the their little nephew you know uh debbie's son then you know, they really don't look at me like with that kind of gang, gang like lifestyle, and it has to do a lot with how you dress, how you present yourself, how you're able to switch up your vocabulary. So, you know, the the conversations I have with some of my friends are completely a 180 from you know the conversations I'd have with uh, little cousin or uh, older uncle. Is there something about your upbringing that could have uh, prevented you from maybe finding this life so attractive? Uh, was it almost a given that this was going to happen? I mean, could you have taken a different path? Uh, I think I could have, but, you know, being at my age and, you know, I'm I'm kind of a thrill seeker. You know, I, I kind of always, uh, even growing up, you know, even being without even knowing what gang life was, you know, just being in kindergarten class or first grade class, you know, I would kind of... Uh, flock towards the the troublemakers um you know the the guys that are a little bit too cool to to be in school kind of guys and you know with that i just started picking up just being infatuated with gang lifestyle like um you know you you conversate and you hear other conversations about what kids your age you know think about gang members you know and you know there's a lot of fear like oh you, you don't want to mess with these kind of guys from this neighborhood because such and such and you know growing up you you, you kind of like that kind of you, you kind of want that kind of fear you know because it separates you from a lot of people and being more of a teenager um 
and being in a neighborhood like that. You know, you go to the park and you hang out with your friends. You know, it, it doesn't have everything to do with being in a gang. Sometimes it's just like this is the, your friends you grew up with and you're hanging out with them after school. Um, and, you know, I've always been active. I've always wanted something to do. I always wanted a place to be. I always wanted to stay out with my friends, go do fun stuff. I've I never been the type to, you know, get off of school and, and go home and, you know, sit, sit at, the, at the dinner table, do the homework in my room, and then go to sleep for the next day. I always used to be out and about, man, and just keeping it active. Well, at some point, um, you're, you're doing your thing, you're running the streets, and then something happens that kind of changed everything for you. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's basically it's, it's eye openers and it's learning it's um learning about the streets and it's a uh, learning about life itself, you know. So you do grow up and um, when you're younger, you know, and you're gang banging and stuff like that, you know, you don't think about consequences, you don't think about repercussions, you don't think about the other side of um, what's going on and you, and how your actions have to do with everything else. So. You know, you're selling drugs, you don't give a shit. You're just thinking about money. Um, you know, you're gangbanging, you're just thinking about fighting and, and being tough. You're not thinking about, you're hurting somebody's kid, you're hurting somebody's son, somebody's um, whatever, or, you know, selling drugs to somebody. You know, you're tearing the family apart, you know, you're putting them in a bad place. So you don't think about that kind of stuff. And um, once you get older, you know, you start realizing more of how gang life really affects you and you know the the outcomes and the paths that it takes you so you know with our older ogs our older ogs really didn't ever sit us down and, and give us um pep talks and and motivational speeches and stuff like that we learn from our ogs from their actions you know um from where they're at in life you know from you know, if you hear one of your older older homies that you look up to, you know, and, and nothing's positive about what they're saying, you know, they're looking forward to the next court date, they still live at home with their, their mom or their grandma or whatnot, you know, um, when you're young, you look at that as just like, oh, you know, he's still down, he's still from the hood, you know, he's going to keep it gangster his whole life. When you start getting older and you start seeing that, you're just like, well, that's not how I want to live. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't want to live in my mom's house. Till I'm 25 years old, and you know I don't want to be um, scheduling court dates every couple months and getting in trouble in and out of jail. So you start learning from your OGs, and as a responsible human being, you know you have to learn from people's mistakes, even if it's just not them giving you advice. It's learning from where they're at in life and and what kind of actions brought them there. So you start picking up that kind of stuff, and you start applying it to yourself daily. I've lost a lot of friends. Uh, from gang life, you know, I've I've had friends get killed for their necklaces just from going to parties. I've had friends overdose. I've had friends get shot for being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And when those kind of people never come back again, and, you know, it starts to give you a little bit of an eye-opener that this gang life is serious. And there's only certain, there's only certain outcomes that come from living this kind of lifestyle. Was it one particular day you made a decision that you were going to go a different direction, or kind of a process? Um, it was a little bit of a little bit of everything. It's just like, but I guess one of the straws, I guess you could say, that really broke the camel's back for me was uh, one of my close friends, uh, AJ. We called him Little Doug. Um, you know, he was. I would say when we were around maybe nineteen to twenty years old, and you know. Um, at this age, a lot of us start getting jobs. A lot of us start 
having kids, a lot of us start um, maturing in different kind of ways. And, you know, with my homeboy AJ, you know, he was still deep in the gang life. He was still, you know what I mean, thinking about, you know, his next kind of come-ups. And, and when he actually passed away, he was actually, this is a small little side story, but um, my homie AJ, you know, he was actually partying so much that, you know, he would actually go party with, different kind of people and as long as there were girls around you know he'd be able to handle his own and shit but you know he'd be starting with the wrong kind of people and when you're around the wrong kind of people they might be around around the wrong kind of people as well so he was actually killed by um some homies of uh, homies of his so you know what i'm saying they had no kind of connection but the only connection they have is just with the people that he was partying with and he was at the wrong place at the wrong time, and they ended up killing him, shooting him, um, stealing all his jewelry, and they actually left him for dead on the side of the house. And the next morning, the man who actually beat the the meters, like the gas meters and the electrical meters and stuff like that, he ended up finding AJ and reporting to the cops. And, you know, from that moment on, you know, I know, like, yeah, life is really serious, and you need to do something with your life. And that's what actually took me down to San Antonio, Texas, and got me involved with professional wrestling. Yeah, I mean, I I was always wondering where that where you turned that corner, and and did those two things happen pretty pretty close uh, chronologically? Yes, actually, yeah, man. So after, when my homeboy AJ passed, you know, that was a real real eye opener. And at that time, the only thing that I was doing productive for myself was. I did have a regular type of job, so I have a, I lived my own apartment, and you know I would party a lot. You know, the only thing I would that would be going to clubs and stuff like that. And after he passed, it just really told me you really have to do something with your life, otherwise, you know, it's gonna go down a different way. And I could either continue doing what I'm doing, is just working a regular job, and you know, uh, using the money to support my my party habits, or I could really try to apply myself to something, learn a new craft, get into a new business, and see where it takes me from there. And with professional wrestling, you know, I've always been a big fan of it. And I think how I got in a fan of professional wrestling is just like my mom and my dad, they were separated. So, you know, they would, um, my dad would come around the house uh, sometimes when, when my mom lived, you know, that they would be on good terms or whatnot. But I remember, you know, he wasn't always at the house, and when he would be there, you know, he put on, he would be flipping through the channels, and you know, wrestling would be on TV. And this is the time of like Hulk Hogan, uh, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, The Ultimate Warrior, Bret Hart, and me being as a kid, being happy that my dad's just at the house, you know, and he's watching wrestling, and I just started getting captivated by the characters of professional wrestling and. It's just always something that always held my interest of as far as for these comic book type of heroes and whatnot. And yeah, that's, that's basically how I kind of started my love for professional wrestling. Well, as long as we're talking about professional wrestling, this actually is the part of the podcast where we take a little bit of a break from the interview. And I ask you, this is a kind of a, a gimmick, if you would, if you will. Uh, Danny, I have two rules for this segment. The first rule is you've only got five seconds once I say go. And the other rule is your answer can't be Donald Trump. Um, right now, I need you to tell me, and you need to think of somebody. It does not have to be a politician. It could be an actor. It can be an athlete. It could be somebody who's in the news right now for all the wrong reasons. 
somebody you think is just a complete boob, a complete clown, a, cle- a complete jackass. You've got five seconds. Go. Um, uh, Rosie? <laughs> I'm not sure, man. I'm trying to think of something like really quick off the top of my head. Uh, man, that's actually a tough question, bro. I've never been stumped that fast. Wh- what did you say before? Um, maybe like well, I guess when when you said like a, a political figure, and I'm trying to think like what's in the news right now as far as like somebody getting grilled. And uh, first thing that came to my mind was that that lady Nancy Pelosi, and that's uh, where they were talking about the um, about her going to like a salon without using okay. a face mask. And I guess that's the first thing that came to my mind. There, there we have it, ladies and gentlemen. Nancy Pelosi is our jabroni of the week. Our jabroni <laughs> of the week is brought to you by the Cardenas Law Firm. Finding an attorney to help you with your legal issues can be rough. How do you find an effective and honest attorney without sacrificing your financial health? The Cardenas Law Firm breaks the mold by offering exceptional service without breaking the bank. You can find them online at www.cardenaslawfirmllc.com or by calling 575-650-6003. Don't call some jabroni lawyer at some jabroni law firm. Call the Cardenas Law Firm. Now, back to somebody who is in no way, shape, or form a jabroni. Uh, We're talking to Danny G. in Albuquerque. So you went to San Antonio. What year is this? Um, I want to say maybe 2000 and uh, maybe 2008. I'm not not 100%. I've got to go back through my timeline. Okay, so 2008-ish. How old are you at the time? I am 33. Okay, so at the time you're, you know, early 20s, 20, 21 years old. And you go to Rudy Boy Gonzalez School there in San Antonio. That's correct. Take take me through that process. How do you get in? How do you contact him? Is there a tryout, or is he just so willing to to get people enrolled and 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 get the tuition paid that you just call him up and say, "Let me, let's go." Uh, what how that actually came about is um, my curiosity for professional wrestling. It didn't start until I started getting tapes. I started uh, finding VHS tapes online. So. That's when I started ordering tapes and uh, seeing that there is a different world of professional wrestling. So it's just not everything that you see on TV with Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and those kind of guys. You know, it's it's more, um, uh, there's a lot more history to it. There's a lot of different companies. There's a lot of wrestlers that I've never even seen on TV before. So with getting all these tapes, I started um, picking up more of idea of professional wrestling. And then I started looking in more to it and... Um, with the schools, uh, I looked up what type of schools were around, and at that time, there was a lot of schools that were open, and the information was online, but when you try to contact them, they'd already be closed, or they're um, going to be opening next year, or um, it was just a lot of runaround. Uh, and I remember receiving a tape with Shawn Michaels, and Shawn Michaels, to me, is one of the ultimate performers in professional wrestling. Um, so I actually watched the interview, and uh, during the interview, he said that he was opening up a school, and uh, the information would be at the end of the video. So I got that information. I tried to contact them. Um, kind of got a generic type of response to contact this individual next, and the information that they gave me was to contact Rudy Boy Gonzalez. And with Rudy Boy Gonzalez, is he is he was one of the head trainers at the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy under Shawn Michaels. So uh, Rudy Boy would actually be handling every, the ins and outs of the entire school. He'd be letting the students in early in the morning. He'd be letting the students out late at night. He'd be on the road with the students. He'd be he just 
he would be the wheels that would actually turn for that Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy. And from the information that I'm aware of is that Shawn Michaels had to actually step away from the school uh, while he got back trained to get back on TV from his injury or whatnot. And that's when Rudy Boy actually opened up his sublet school, uh, which is the Texas Wrestling Academy. So it's basically the same principles, but just uh, underneath Rudy Boy and um, his guidance. And with contacting Rudy Boy, you know, I contacted him and let him know my information, um, talked to him briefly. And at this time, I don't know what to expect because... You know, I, I don't know about professional wrestling schools. I'm I'm just this young kid, and, uh, you know, I don't know how to even go about it. And I guess the scary part about it is all these wrestling schools are in different cities where I have no contacts. I don't, I didn't know one person who lived in San Antonio, Texas. I had no family members who even lived in Texas, uh, nothing like that. So, you know, it's, it's a whole brand new world for me, but... Um, you know, I actually live by, you know, you take big risks uh, to get big rewards. So I actually made the decision to go down there, uh, pack up everything I have in my little Mustang. I packed up a little TV, packed up, you know, 10 of my favorite wrestling tapes. I packed up a few clothes, um, you know, ironing boards, stuff like that. And I ended up moving down to San Antonio, Texas. I ended up getting my own apartment. I ended up uh, finding a little call center job, and then that's when I met Rudy Boy, and I paid a, a tuition, assigned uh, paperwork, got physicals from a doctor, and I started training over there in San Antonio. And, you know, his school is it's amazing, man, because you have these people that come in from all over the place to train over there. So, you know, I started connecting with other students who didn't know one person in Texas, but they just know that there's a wrestling school out there. So, you know, they're in the same boat as me. They get a little small shitty apartment and, you know, they're, they're get a little job somewhere, you know, they're living off of, um, small wages, but as long as they get to train at this school and, you know, when training in professional wrestling, you know, if you're, once you love it and you get bit by the bug, you know, it just starts opening up a whole world. And that's when I started meeting a whole bunch of new people and, how long yeah. was the school? How long was the academy? Um, I, I actually trained for about maybe a year and a half over there. There isn't no kind of set date. Uh, once Rudy Boy feels that you are ready to be your own independent wrestler and book on shows and, and travel on your own and whatnot, then you get rewarded not only as graces, but you get a, I got a like a graduation kind of certificate. And it's just not that everybody, you know, that actually goes to that school gets a, a graduation certificate and gets put on the roster. Um, I've actually ran across so many people who try professional wrestling, and it's just not for them. Um, it's, there's a lot of athleticism involved. There's a lot of of uh, pain that you have to inflict. So, you know, some people got that mindset where, you know, this is just kind of something fun and kind of kind of like playing a game but you know professional wrestling it's a it's a real sport and being at a school like that it 
really test your limits of how bad you really want this and you know there's older students that have been there for a long time and it's just not that they haven't ever graduated and moved on it's just because that's the place that you go to train you know that's the place that has a professional ring you know that's where you go to sharpen your tools for your craft and a lot of the guys really really helped me out and helped me understand the business helped me better myself and now i know a lot there of really these... isn't any kind of time frame I know a lot of uh, a lot of the the more established wrestling schools are also associated with a small uh, small time independent promotion. Is that how Rudy's school was, or where did you get your first booking? Uh, my first booking was well with Rudy Boy. You know, he'd have a, a lot of students, and he'd have a lot of um, already established wrestlers that would work with him and train with him. So um, he actually had a whole entire crew of its own, and just to get like the trainees and the students' feet wet, he would throw little independent shows in small little cities. So <clears throat> outside of San Antonio, you'd have, um, you'd have like little small, I guess, uh, little towns, little towns that, you know, once something does happen, like an event or whatnot, you know, everybody from the surrounding area comes down and it's like a family kind of function. But uh, he would have these shows and as students, you know, we'd just be glad to be able to perform. So we would actually do, pay, we'd pay our dues is what they call it in wrestling. And that's when, you know, you break down a ring, you travel with the ring to another city, you set up the ring, you get ready for the show, you set up the, the display, you set up the entrances, you set up chairs and whatnot, you condone your match, you have your match, uh, then you undress, and then you redo it all again. You take down a ring, you load it in the truck, you take it back to the school, you unload the ring at the school, then you re-put up the ring back at the school so you could train the next day. And that's basically what paying dues is. So, you know, um, being students, you would do this in the morning and your entire day until sometimes even the next day would just be paying your dues and then and devoting yourself to wrestling so he would have his own little shows where it would get our feet wet and then you know once he feels that that you're ready and um you can actually handle yourself on your own then he would actually start getting you contracted out to other little shows and then giving you the opportunity to work for different kind of promotions different cities and whatnot now i've had the opportunity very fortunate uh, over the last uh it's been just over eight years now since I made my debut as the third man in the ring with Extreme Crucis Wrestling. I've worked with you uh, countless times. Uh, you have uh, a style that I see is fairly common among a lot of the guys we work with, especially here in the Southwest. You, I call it some sort of a, a, a hybrid. You, you do a lot of American style and mix it with a lot of lucha. Uh, I would imagine your exposure to the, the, the lucha libre is uh, a result of you growing up in the Southwest. Did you have an opportunity uh, to go see any wrestling or in addition to what was being shown on television, you know, during the, the Monday Night Wars? Uh, did you have an opportunity to go to Lucha Libres or did you see any of that? How did, how did you get into that style? Well, the funny story is, is well, with that, to be honest with you, um, it's not something that I was actually trained with. Um, when going to Rudy Boy's school, his training technique is basically old school American, which when I say that, I mean like you grab a headlock, you work the headlock, uh, shoot him in, tackle, put a hold on him, you know, let him work up off the hold. So you're basically doing like American uh, type of matches and American type of training because, you know, the, the biggest thing today is for people to learn the fundamentals 
for people to learn the structure of what professional wrestling is because now, you know, people think that you go in there and you do a bunch of backflips and, and somersaults and super kicks and that makes a good wrestler. But, you know, you actually have to have those fundamentals down of how to use a wrist lock, how to use a hammer lock, how to get out of these moves, how to put these moves in at the right place of the matches, how to understand the crowd. So with being American style um, and being at a school like that, and you have so many established wrestlers, uh, I used to be real scared to actually try new stuff at the school you know I, I used to be real scared to to try to go out of the box and just because you have a lot of people with, with different kind of uh, um, thinking process you know if I'm with a, one of my training classes at the Texas Wrestling Academy and I say you know I want to try this shooting star or I want to try this you know it's cool but you know at the same time you have other people looking at you like that's not wrestling you know like that's just flip shit, you know, it has no point to it, and, you know, you kind of get down-talked or, or kind of looked at as just like, like, if you're trying to hurt the business, so I really stuck away from doing any kind of, like, high spots and high, high type of maneuvers until I actually got home, um, and when I got home back to Albuquerque after being trained professional wrestling, that's when I learned what Lucha Libre was. Like, I honestly had no idea. I knew that there was wrestlers that wore masks, you know. I knew there was wrestling in Mexico, but I just didn't know, you know, the, the tradition. I didn't know that the significance that it held to Mexican people. And uh, it's, a, it's a religion out there. It's a tradition. It's, you know, people, they live by it. And my first exposure to Lucha Libre was actually through Massive, uh, rest in peace to Massive. He actually passed away um, last week, and he actually was my first connection in the wrestling because he can't, uh, Rudy Boy said, you know, I got this kid from Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is about four hours away. I trained him, you know, do you have anything for him? And then that's when Massive reached out to me and said, yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to have this Eddie Guerrero type of tribute show uh, here in El Paso, uh, can you come down and work? I said yes. Uh, Massive, he was a little, uh, a little um, spectacle about me, like he didn't know, you know. So, for, I remember something that I always remember is, you know, in a conversation with him, he said, like, you know, I really want to use you for this show, but you can't come out here throwing gang signs. You can't, you know, uh, be gang banging when you come out to the ring. And you know, I just really thought that was funny because. I don't know, you know, what kind of impression he had of me or whatnot, but, um, you know, I actually showed up to the show. Uh, I showed up with a, a green guy who I met from out here, and, um, you know, he did the referee stuff. And this is, I kept getting the same thing when I was meeting all these wrestlers backstage. It's just like, so did you come with Dylan? Uh, are you, are you, did you come with Dylan and Luis and those guys? And I honestly didn't know who the, who that was, and I was just like, I, I don't know who that is, man. Like I never met who those guys were. And then that's when Dylan Stone, uh, Luis Guzman, Awesome Andy, and um, somebody else. But they actually came. And that was my first time ever meeting them, and nobody knew that we never met each other before. So, and what was really cool about that time too is like, you know, Dylan Stone was saying like, yeah, everybody kept asking me about if I was bringing that kid from Albuquerque, and I honestly didn't have no idea what they were talking about, and they said, well, you're that guy? And just like, yeah, just like, okay, yeah, and that's when I first met all them, and let me tell you, uh, over there at that show, I saw Cassandro against Hurricane Hector, against Magno, against Mystico, 
and right there watching them four in the ring just blew my mind that they were able to do so much cool moves. Uh, the fans loved them, everything about them, their presentation. And right there, that was my first time getting hooked with Lucha Libre. And as oh. you said about the style, the style, you know, I, I knew my American stuff. I knew when to use stuff and when not to use stuff. But I loved how cool their moves were and how innovative they were. So that's where my style of mixture started coming into play. Well, for those uh, listening who are not familiar with the independent wrestling scene in the borderland, uh, you're talking about people like uh, Cassandro, Hurricane Hector, Magno. Uh, these guys are... Uh, OGs, if you will, uh, anybody who knows anything about uh, professional wrestling, independent wrestling in the borderland, those are names that everybody knows. And if you're going to be influenced by anybody, those are some good guys to be influenced by. Now, of course, the cat's out of the bag. Kayfabe's dead. I mean, everybody knows professional wrestling is a work. And uh, even so, the workers are out there to tell a story. And you tell stories with characters. Now, Danny G, like a lot of uh, a lot of professional wrestlers, uh, your gimmick, if you will, who Danny G, you know, you're Dan Garcia uh, in real life and you're Danny G in the ring. It's not that much of a, a stretch. I mean, it really is just kind of a it's it's your Dan Garcia um, blown up and, and, and bigger than life and kind of showing off who you are. Who is Danny G? Well, the cool thing about that is um, I don't know if it's, it's a, a gift or or, uh, or a curse, but I, I guess I don't have really a character, you know, um, People, you know, if they've never even heard of me outside of wrestling and they see me perform in the ring, um, they may think like, wow, it's a little, you know, tattooed Chicano dude, you know what I mean, a little gangster dude. But if once they find out more about me outside of the ring of who I really am, then they kind of put the puzzle pieces together. Well, like, wow, you know, he's really not a... a it's not an act. It's not a, a character he's portraying. And, you know, I think that that has a lot to do with who I am today. Like, I'm really proud of who I am and what I've done and um, my reputation. You know, like, I, I get a lot of love in my city, man. And uh, this is a really, really tough city to, to try to impress as far as for, you know, in this city, everybody knows combat sports. So, you know, they put combat sports as far as wrestling is the same as boxing boxing is the same as mma um ufc is the same thing as wrestling so a lot of people you know they put you in that kind of category so you know i'm from a place where you know, everybody is hometown heroes right now are you know johnny tapia uh holly holmes john bones jr so uh john john bones and you know they they hold you to that kind of standard and you know i'm really really proud of who i am because you know i a lot of people don't, they don't come up to me and say, you know, uh, you know, you're a real good actor or, or you play a really good gimmick. They just say like, wow, man, you, you're really talented in the ring. Like you're awesome. Like, and you represent New Mexico and, you know, you're seen uh, around the world and in different places and you're exactly what a, a burke boy looks like. You're exactly what a homeboy from Albuquerque talks like. You, you, you hold yourself in a, a certain manner. So well, that's really one of the no things- kind of gimmick with me and. You know, I am who I am. That's one of the things, Danny, that I that I find uh, so so refreshing uh, about our friendship. As you know, I've known you about eight years, and we don't see each other often. We see each other on social media. We work together maybe a couple times a year, and here I am, a middle aged white guy, you know, doing what I do for a living—a very straight laced uh, kind of existence and kind of straight laced, pretty plain looking 
uh, appearance. And because of our shared, you know, our mutual uh, passion uh, with professional wrestling, um, I'm friends with this guy who's all tatted up. And, and if you didn't know better, you might think, uh, isn't the good, calm guy that he is. Uh, but that's how it is. And uh, that's one of the things that's so refreshing about it. It's funny you mentioned uh, you're this Berkey boy all tatted up. In my Facebook memories, just last week came up uh, a memory from a show we worked together in El Paso in about two, mm-hmm. 2014, 2015. You did a, a triple threat ladder match with Lucha Star and Shadow Fox. And I almost didn't recognize you because your chest and your belly were almost completely bereft of tattoos. You've gotten a lot yeah. of work done in the last five years. Yeah, well, you know what? It's it's a it's um it's just something I really really like. You know, it's it's a it's a really good investment for me. Um, you know, I got a, a artist type of mindset, so you know, if I see something, I always think about what would look what in my opinion what would look cool on it. You know, and that can go with like if you see a car in the street and you think, oh, that's a cool car. You know, it look good a uh, paint job that has this kind of color with this kind of stuff. So, I take that in consideration when I ink up my body and you know i put a collection of images that really uh represent me or or something that i really like or or something that um just means something to me so you know it, it, all my tattoos are not a, a, an exact story i don't go from my elbow and say at this age you know this is what happened and then it took me to my back tattoo which is this and you know it's just basically a whole collection of uh stuff that really stood out to me stood out to me enough where i wanted my own style of it but put on me and you know with tattoos it's you can't take everything to the grave with you but guaranteed you're going to take your tattoos with you so you know they're with me for life uh, i'm going to hold on to them and um they're not never going to leave my side or expire well danny we're coming up actually on the one-year anniversary of you becoming the inaugural uh new mexico state heavyweight wrestling mm-hmm. champion with Extreme Cruises Wrestling. Uh, we haven't had, unfortunately, a show since then. Lots of things going on. Uh, the pandemic has pretty much kept things down. We're we're looking forward to getting things going, hopefully, in 2021 and want to see Danny back in the ring. And the, the thing that I love is that, you know, you come from Albuquerque and you come from the streets, and while you gave up that lifestyle, you still live there and you still represent. You're still cruising Central on Sundays in your ride. Uh, you're still making videos, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about the new video uh, that you sent me. I know I recognize some of the footage. You were part of something called Albuquerque Stories not too long ago, and you've kind of added on to that with a lot of footage from your wrestling career. Uh, tell us about the production and, and where people can see it and get an idea, visual, after maybe listening to the podcast, get a visual on who, who Danny G is and what he does. Okay, yeah, well, um, so like as you were mentioning, the, the Duke City Diaries is actually a series uh, put together by Frank Blasquez and um, and John Acosta. Um, they're two filmographers um, who have their ear to the street, so they put together a little series of small short stories of people from Albuquerque. These are just not your average people, you know. Some people might uh, have their story, you know, being hooked on drugs or uh, being stuck in gang life or prison life or just there's a bunch of different cool stories. I suggest, you know, anybody out there, you you know, you want to see actually the real side of Albuquerque, see some, like, real stories of people from Albuquerque, go check them out at YouTube, um, type in Duke City Diaries, and it's a little series. They actually held a little episode with me where um, we talked a lot about Martinez Town Live, 
uh, my friends that I've lost, um, you know, where I came from and stuff like that. So we they put together my episode, um, I think it's titled uh, The Fallen Homies, and it's collaborating with the uh, Northside Gang and Martinstown. And, you know, we have an affiliation with Northside as well, so, you know, the episode kind of came together with both of us. But um, what's cool about them is they actually shot so much extra footage, like so much cool shit of you know, me cruising my car on Central and, and, and people going up to me, shaking my hand and saying, when's your next match, bro? You know, hey, I appreciate everything you've done. You know, you make us proud. And, you know, they got a lot of footage like that, but they didn't include it in the um, in the in the one episode. So, you know, I got their good gracious and the permission to see what I can do with the extra footage that wasn't used. And, you know, they were real cool about it. And, you know, if I can make something better uh, if I could make something different from it, then, you know, they're all for it. And, you know, I actually started learning a lot of stuff to put together my own little project, which is kind of like a a little documentary, I guess you can say, like a little mini documentary. Um, but I was always taught, you know, you want something done right with your own vision. You have to be able to do it yourself. So, you know, I actually picked up all these skills and with wrestling, you know, a lot of people are in that boat, too, where, you know, they want to make it, but in order to make it, you have to impress some millionaire who owns a wrestling company to invest in you and give you an opportunity. But today, you know, we live in a whole different world. You know, you can't sit around and wait for something like that, you know, so you actually have to do it yourself, you know. So the cool thing about wrestling superstars is they're in promo videos and their matches have commentating and they're edited and they get to do all this cool stuff. But as an independent wrestler, somebody that's not signed, somebody that's not on TV, you actually have the ability to do it yourself. Anything is possible. So, you know, you can generate this own buzz. You can build your own brand without having some millionaire try to do it for you. So going back to to my little video that I'm putting together, is um, it's just going to have a whole overview of my life, uh, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of um, different situations. And like you were saying, a year ago, you know, we had the show in Albuquerque for the XCW event in September. Um, the cool thing about the video I have coming out now is that's the culminating point. So it takes us way back from when I started training, from when I was gangbanging, selling dope, to moving down to San Antonio, to uh, making myself who I am, uh, rebranding myself, you know, losing it all from uh, ACL injury, rebuilding myself back up to come to a point where I can return. And then the last thing is, is, doing that show and being able to perform in front of my hometown. Well, if people check out that show, it's going to culminate with that match that uh, if you're lucky, you'll notice the referee is your host, Andrew Lawrence of the Square Peg Podcast. Danny, tell us uh, real quick, uh, people want to find you on social media. People want to find you on Facebook and Instagram. Where are they, what are they going to look for? Well, um, uh, being a wrestler, you know, you have to have a Twitter, but you know, unfortunately, my Twitter, I, I don't use Twitter too much. Uh, I really don't even know how to use Twitter. Uh, so my main hub for contact is going to be through either Instagram, which is DannyG505, um, you know, or you can actually find me through Facebook as well underneath Danny G or Dan Garcia. But um, with my Facebooks, my Facebooks are actually at their friends' 5,000 max capacity. So 
if any kind of communication or any kind of following, I strongly suggest using my Instagram because my Instagram I'm more fluent with. Uh, it's easier for me to use. Um, you know, I correspond faster. Uh, that's probably going to be the best way. And also YouTube is something big as well because I actually have not only uh, a lot of my matches that I like posted on my YouTube, but I also have other cool stuff too. Is like car show videos, traveling videos, um, uh, mixtapes kind of stuff, uh, just a bunch of different stuff. So uh, if you're on YouTube, type in Danny G, and from there, you know, you can explore and get to know me a little better. Well, with any luck, you'll be able to see Danny G in a pro wrestling ring here in New Mexico or elsewhere in the borderland uh, as early as early 2021. I want to thank Danny uh, for coming on the show. You're one of the first people I thought of when I created this show. I'm so glad to have you on. If anybody out there in the audience is a square peg, a mold breaker, a trailblazer, or a taker of road less traveled, or if you know somebody who fits that and you think you'd be an interesting guest, you can get a hold of us at squarepegpodcastlc at gmail.com. I want to thank everybody out there. Danny G., be safe, and we'll see you in 2021. Goodbye, everybody. Excellent. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. This has been an episode of the Square Peg Podcast, starring Andrew Lawrence and his cast of Mold Breakers, Trailblazers, and Takers of Roads Less Traveled. Until then, we'll see you on the next Road Less Traveled? <laughs>